0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope you feel supported and loved on during these conversations. Today, my guest is Amanda Parrish Morgan, who has a new book out called Stroller, which I really loved. I picked it up and read it on my way to New York City last weekend. I was going to run the marathon there, and this was a great plain read for me on the way there and the way back. Amanda is a writing instructor. She's a marathon runner, a mother of two, and this book is really interesting. I was immediately pulled in by the similar feelings I've had that Amanda has also had and shares about in this book. She's going to talk about the premise of the book in the episode, but uh, in this conversation, we really talk a lot about consumerism and parenting and how the world has led us to believe we need all these things that we don't really need. And also we talk about fear-based parenting and how our society also puts ideas in our heads that maybe we should be fearful of things we probably shouldn't actually be fearful of. And uh, you know I love talking about raising independent kids. That's something I always just go crazy on. And so we talk about that a lot in this episode as well. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you're gonna enjoy it too. If you do love it, please leave us a quick rating interview on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That is a huge help. For new listeners finding the show, I want to tell you about Green Growers Farm. GreenGrowers.farm. This is a family-owned farm, and they have the best elderberry syrup out there. I don't know about you, but my kids have been bringing home the germs. Lots of colds going on around our house. and Elderberry is an immune-modulating herb that brings balance to the immune system reducing stress, decreasing inflammation, helping to prepare the body for cold and flu season naturally. So also, if you do get sick, it's proven to help reduce severity and the duration. This is also safe for kids to take. If you do have children under one, you can use their DIY kit that they also sell and use maple syrup as a favorite sweetener instead. Uh, this elderberry syrup has the addition of cinnamon, gingers, hip, which is huge for vitamin C and clove. And, uh, elderberry syrup helps you stay on top of your health all year long. I've been downing this because I didn't want to get sick before the marathon I just ran. And then I got back from the marathon and my kids are coughing all over my face and I am downing this elderberry syrup. What I love too, is this is a family owned business. I trust their products and the quality of the ingredients that they bring in. And the great news is, you guys can save on your shipping to get it totally free when you go to greengrowers.farm. When you check out, just use that code SANDYBOY to get free shipping, which is kind of expensive. So that's a big deal. I would just grab a couple bottles while you're at it. That's code SANDYBOY at greengrowers.farm. All right, friends, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amanda Parrish Morgan. Today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Amanda Parrish Morgan on the show. Welcome to the show, Amanda.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Excited to have a fellow mother runner. I don't know how else to say it on the show. (laughs) Welcome to the Parenting Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I
1: always, you know, I feel like before I met you in person, I had seen pictures from social media of like you running with two or three kids in a stroller at the same time. So when I finished the book and, you know, part of it is about running strollers, but obviously about a lot of other things too, I thought of you right away. So it's really exciting to get to talk.
0: (laughs) Man, I'm in a stage of life where, and you probably are too, it's like the stroller running is, it's over.
1: Totally. Even today, my daughter's homesick. She seems fine, but had a high fever yesterday. And I was thinking like, oh, it's so nice out here. Maybe we could get out for a walk but she's probably not up for like a walk. And I was thinking if only we still had our mountain buggy terrain, it would look absurd to have an almost eight year old sitting in there, but we could get some fresh air. And, but yeah, we got rid of it. So.
0: You, you mentioned seeing pictures of me with my running stroller. There was a time when my youngest was born and my oldest was six. We would push the triple stroller with the oldest in it. And (laughs) I mean, usually it would be my husband pushing the triple and then I would push the single with just the baby. Um, But up to six years old because we would want to run together and we'd be gone for like a full hour and we wouldn't want to like get a babysitter for that hour. So, yeah, I mean, my oldest sat in the stroller and he's a very, very, very active kid, Um, but he was used to it. He grew up in the running stroller and you know, one of the things people used to always ask me was like, how do you get your kids to sit in the stroller for that long? Blah, blah, blah. And I was always like, it's not easy. Like it's not like they're just like, there's no tantrums or no throwing things out and there's no stopping and fixing things. And like, it's not easy, but it was just what I, at that time of my life had committed to, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that's just such an example of how you have to pick your battles. You know, like, we're not a big food rule family. Um, You know, neither my husband or I grew up with a lot of rules about eating. We think that we eat pretty healthfully, so we just kind of do whatever works. You know, like, some days we're eating french fries and chicken nuggets, all four of us, and some days we're eating peanut butter sandwiches, and some days we're having a nice dinner. But I totally understand for other people, like, that's an important part of, a rule they have and for me the running stroller was like on the days i needed to know that on the days my husband left for work before six in the morning and i was home with two kids trying to do freelance work during nap time i for my sanity and patience had to have some other option besides like you said hiring a sitter or um you know especially in the winter i especially during the pandemic like child care gym options weren't always great so Um, it was just one of those things like we're going to make this work, even if this means I'm totally giving up ground on chicken nuggets later or something.
0: Totally. Listen, I am not above a food bribe. And I don't mean like if you behave, it's just like, hey, guess what? If this works out smoothly for our family, (laughs) we're going to get ice cream later. Totally.
1: Or even in the stroller, we would like run to the donut store and then have the donuts in the stroller on the run home. And then I would have a donut waiting for me in the little bag <laughs> under the carrier when we were back, and it was good for everybody.
0: Totally okay. So, Amanda, well, I think I first started following you when you were in Mary Johnson's sub yeah. three group for the Indie Monumental Marathon.
1: Yeah, that's right. So that would have been the fall of 2019. Um, I, at different points of my life, have had different levels of seriousness about my marathon, you know, goals, and that was sort of I felt like my son, let's see, he must have been, he was three. No, yeah, two. that. Uh, <laughs> he was three. He was three then. And I was thinking like, okay, this is this window where, you know, I'm recovered from pregnancy and postpartum. And I really want to go after some individual personal goals, both in terms of, you know, for my own interests and hobbies and then professionally as well. So I was like, I'm going to just give this a go. Um, and that, that training was I was in the best shape of my life and then the race itself was not the best, but it was such a great way to meet, you know, like other, the women in the group were great to get to know Mary better. And then being in Indianapolis and seeing your show where I remember, um, Sally McRae and Dina Castor was there. That was just like, it was an awesome experience to be a part of that group.
0: I looked up your name in the email in my, in my email inbox to search to schedule this. And I saw on the event, I was still at an event bright and I was like, Oh, she was at the live show. I love that. Um, Okay. So this book that you wrote, Stroller, it's not what I expected it to be. And first of all, look how cute it is. If you're watching the video, look how cute this book is.
1: Um, It
0: it was a very non-intimidating, like when I got this in the mail, I was like, oh, I can read this like pretty quick. Like this is not intimidating to me. Tell our listeners, like, how did the book come to be? Like what, what made you think I'm going to create this entire book, like revolving around What is the stroller and what does it mean in the life of American parents?
1: Thanks so much for you asking and also for saying the thing about the length of the book, because I love short books. I was a high school English teacher for a long time, and now I teach college students writing. And so, I mean, I love a long book too, but I firmly feel that many, many books that are published could be significantly shorter than they are. Um, You know, sometimes an epic novel needs all the space or whatever but um I just even in fiction I just finished a book yesterday called Foster by Claire Keegan that was this beautiful book I actually listened to the audio it was 80 minutes on the audio I wow. listened to it in one run and it was you know it's sold as an, a, a whole book it's not packaged with other short stories and it was It's really powerful. And I just think a lot of the books I've loved reading that have really stayed with me, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, are often just a little bit more sharply focused, whether that's because it's about, you know, in this case, even though it was fiction, it was a a narrow story. It was about a weekend, basically, in this character's life. Um, And then in my book, being focused around one object. It's actually part of this series called Object Lessons, and there are about 80 books in the series. Each one does what mine did, but just with a different object. So oh, cool. Cool. There's I heard about it maybe in like 2018, one called High Heel came out, and I heard the author talking on a radio interview, and I was like, wow, this book sounds interesting, but this concept too just seems like a really something that I would love. Um, So that was sort of my gateway into the series. And then I, had, I knew that sometimes they took um, proposals for new objects and I had sort of had my eyes out and initially I had thought I wanted to just write about the running stroller and I got some good feedback saying they liked my ideas but it probably would need to be expanded to strollers in general to really sort of get all the angles that I was proposing in the what I had sent them. So um, yeah, so then I expanded the proposal a bit to involve more of, the history of even like the patent history of strollers, but also to move away from my own strollering life obviously was very running stroller focused. But then I started to think about how even for, I guess the best way I could say it was for me, the stroller was sort of this contradiction because in a literal way, it made me slower when I was pushing it, running with it, but it also made me stronger. And I ran all of my fastest times in races those years, you know, I wouldn't race with the stroller, so I would have done all this running during the week, pushing however many pounds, and then I would get to a race and be like, "Wow, do I have springs on my feet or something? Like I just feel so good, um, even though I wasn't sleeping that much and I wasn't really running all that much either." So that was kind of crazy, and I started to think about how that's such a good metaphor for what parenthood has been like for me. That, um, you know, of course there, it doesn't always end up this way, but so many of the things that seem exhausting and impossible to navigate end up making you stronger or maybe just like showing a strength that you didn't realize you had until put in the situations that parenting put you in you know um and this is maybe a little bit of a gross example but I've always been one of those people who like if someone else threw up I would start to throw up yes (laughs) after I had kids like I don't know if I just matured or just knew I couldn't do that but doesn't happen anymore even when (laughs) someone throwing up on me. Like that's a little bit, you know, of a silly example, but I found so many things like that. And I felt like I really wanted to write about things along those lines where the metaphor or the situation that the stroller was revealing, whether it was anxiety about safety or getting stronger, even as it's harder, or, um, you know, the status symbol of certain brands, like all of those things that connect to strollers, are actually just bigger parts of being a human. Um, and in the case of the stroller, it was sort of easiest to connect them directly to parenthood since obviously strollers make you think, you know, right away of young children. Yeah, yeah. so the, the idea just came initially without one metaphor. And then the more I sort of thought about it as I was writing a proposal, the more I realized it was a little bit broader than that and that it would be really cool to, to dig in a little bit deeper.
0: Totally. I, I think I got sucked in right away Cause you start with the consumerism of being a parent in our country. And I so related to your feelings about not having a baby shower and like we had a baby shower, but it was like we played beer pong and like I didn't play beer pong. I played with water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was like very much embarrassed for some reason. Like I didn't want it to be this big show. And Then, you know, as years went on, I went to all these beautiful baby showers and I was like, maybe I should have done a baby shower like that. Um, But it is true. And I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, when we have babies, the world tells us we need so many things, so many things. And we don't need so many things. Like my best friend just had her first baby. She had two. um, So I've never done that, had two at once. But she was asking me about her registry and things like that. And I was like, man, you need diapers. You need a swaddle. And you need bottles and a place yeah. for this kid to sleep. Like that's what you need. Um, yeah. And so I'm just curious about your feelings on that topic now. And um, I don't know, just I, as, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so my feelings. And I, and I feel like I'm kind of a, an outlier. Like I'm kind of a little bit of a minimalist. I don't like a lot of stuff. And everybody seems to need and want all the things.
1: Yeah, I—I mean, yes, I definitely identify with that on so many levels. I think part of it is just the feeling. I remember being, you know, some of those nights in early, early parenthood, especially with our first when it was like, how long am I going to be this tired? Why is the baby awake in the middle of the night? Am I doing something wrong? Is this just how it is? Like, And then, you know, you hear people saying, well, by 12 weeks, my baby was sleeping 12 hours straight or whatever, which was never my kid's Great for people who that is. But um,
0: don't ever tell that to a new mom, though. <laughs> like talk I, to I, people I, about that when their kid is five.
1: Yeah. I remember being in a new mom's group um, and one of the women just like in no way trying to be rude, casually mentioned that when she had been pumping one morning after she fed her baby, she pumped 12 ounces on one side. And I was like burst into tears (laughs) in the meeting because I was the person who was like chugging water to try to see if I could (laughs) pump more milk and like always worried that the baby was hungry. So, but in those, to that point, actually, like, I don't know how many I brought these like fenugreek capsules, and I bought these like things you could put on one side while you were nursing on the other side to catch any extra milk. Like these gadgets that, when the really the gadget I needed was actually formula, but I was like, yes very, uh, worried about doing that. And so I don't know how many times at like two in the morning I had never even had an Amazon app on my phone, and then all of a sudden after I had kids, I'm like we got Amazon prime and then I was could order things with one click. And I'd be like, Oh, it must be this. It must be that. If only I buy this nipple thing or this, whatever it was, then I'll be able to sleep again, which was such a shorthand for like, my kid will be safe. I'll be doing okay. Like I'll be rested enough that I won't be arguing with my husband. I won't literally walk into the wall at night." you know, like those are bigger problems that 99% of the stuff didn't help. Like, you know, we did have swaddles cause it was way easier than doing the hand wrapping. And of course you need like a car seat. And for us, a stroller was something that was super useful, but so many of these things that I would find on like baby center lists or hear other moms talking about just was a waste of money. And then I felt bad about myself for having them, like having spent the money on it, wasting the space. Like it was almost like a buyer's remorse hangover when I the item would come and it wasn't two o'clock in the morning anymore. And I was like, Yes, uh, I really need that. Uh, whatever it was, like, no, I didn't. I needed a good night's sleep, or I needed like a babysitter, or or a bottle of formula. In my case, sometimes.
0: Totally, I feel like you went into motherhood though, based on reading the book, with this like not over ambitious and like clear mind about what it might be. Like, I really related to you talking about like you know i was very much aware of like it might be hard to have a baby i you know what if my baby has has um health issues things like that that i think when i hear young people like trying to get pregnant they just think it's going to be this like easy beautiful thing so i feel like you always had a really realistic look on what it would be but then as you read through the book like you and, and I still fall into those traps of like doing all the things you want to do to keep your baby safe and going above and beyond those things. And I'm just curious how you process that now looking back to when your, your kids were babies. Cause your kids are six and eight now, right?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. I feel like there are sort of a couple things coming to mind right away. One is I taught high school for a long time before I had kids and I was still teaching and coaching high school cross country and track when I was pregnant and i saw so often with my students something that just like broke my heart which was that their parents clearly had like envisioned a product that the child would be mm. and that all of these sources of stress and conflict not not with every child obviously but in a lot of t- cases it was like the parent was mad either at me or at their child because the child wasn't doing what the parent had imagined whether that was like earning a lacrosse scholarship or you know getting straight a's or being super social and, you know, popular and it ranged and it. Sometimes was all those things. And I would, you know, be meeting with students one-on-one or get to know them through coaching for, you know, coaching track is such an intimate experience because you often have the same kids three seasons a year for four years. So you are seeing them every day. And I would be like, wow, you're this wonderful amazing kid who's quirky and like, maybe you got to see in math class, but you're hilarious. Or like, I would call you in a second to babysit my child and the fixation at home seems to be on like a, vi- a pre-packaged vision of how this kid was supposed to be. Um, and that was like really, really important to me before I had kids not to do that to my own kids. And of course, I'm making mistakes all sorts of ways. And I'm sure including that, but just like thinking that I I, I can just remember lots of times, even when my kids were really young, hearing parents say things about their kids in front of them that mm-hmm. were like, I just remember this one woman once saying like, well, of course she's not rolling over yet. And, you know, obviously at whatever age that is, babies aren't understanding that, but it really was like, well, who cares? And I'm saying this as it wasn't like a physical delay concern. It was just like some of the other babies in this library story (laughs) time rolled over. (laughs) Do we need to see an OT? It was like, is my baby losing the the rolling over contest? Um, So I think that I like, Any any level-headedness – I mean, my parents were very level-headed with us, too, so I'm glad that I I never got the message from my own parents, like, that I needed to go to X school or study Y or be this for a job or whatever. But I just felt like any level-headedness about pushing back on the consumer attitude, which I really think the connection between consuming actual products and thinking of kids as products is something that started to become – more and more clear to me as I wrote the book, but something that I think I had been aware of without having the words for it, like throughout my kids' childhood and even from teaching. Um, we live in a suburb of New York and it seems like it is the kind of community that's very wrapped up in name brand strollers, but also colleges or cars or, you know, all those kind of things. And it's one of the things we question about living here all the time. Mm. Because my husband's a teacher too. So we see how that, you know, affects teenagers and I remember what it felt like to grow up here and I love being five minutes from my mom and dad, but also this, you know, like it's, it's a place that even more than maybe some other communities, there's a big focus on the things that I don't think are the most important parts of life. So I, I feel like I may have not answered all of your question, but that part about like any sort of level-headedness I have had as a parent, I think just came from having met so many different kinds of kids whose paths looked totally different and non-traditional. And like the kids I maybe connected with the most or who amazed me the most weren't always the kids who had the best grades or who ran the fastest times or who ran all the clubs or whatever, you know, they were, they were the kids who were just authentic and kind.
0: Yeah. There's so much value in what you got to experience as a teacher to see all that before having your own kids, like being so heavily invested in the lives of other kids Um, I think about that stuff a lot too. I, I just tweeted this today or yesterday and I was like saying how in high school and all of school, I had to work really hard for like below average grades and my husband just like got good grades. Like he put the work in. So frustrating. So frustrating. (laughs) Like he did what he needed to do, but like I graduated college, I think with like, you guys just like take a deep breath guys and sit down. Cause you're going to be like, what? I think I graduated <laughs> college with like a 2.7 GPA, something really low, like way under 3.0. And, um, from like the school of like physical education or something like a hyper school. Um, and my husband graduated from the Kelly school of business with like a three, six or three, seven and like did the work, but did minimal. You know what I mean? Just did what he yeah. needed to do to get through and still had really good grades and it's been interesting to see how that is already playing out with our own kids like I can already tell my kindergartner like reading is coming way natural to him compared to my my second grader I think my my kindergartner can almost read as good as my second grader and um so much of that is just who they are like it's just gonna come easier to some and I want to teach my kids to work really hard but I don't want to place value in what the outcome is.
1: I think that's so hard too, especially like, you know, I know we know each other mostly in the running context, but as someone, as runners who can tend to be very goal oriented, yeah. like, there's is so much value in working hard for an end goal, whatever that time might be. And it's not always easy to separate Like the satisfaction I get from working hard towards something and the satisfaction of achieving something, you know. And I think a lot about that. Like, how do I make sure that I'm separating those two values when I talk about my job or my hobbies or my own experience in school? If I'm telling stories, you know, about when I was younger to my kids, um, how do I separate those two pieces that might, especially to a kid, look like they're the same? Like, working hard is having the outcome you want when obviously you know that's not true i've had many pieces of writing rejected and lost a million more races than i've won you know um and thinking about how how to convey that when it's not always even easy to come to terms with yourself even as an adult you know um i don't know that's something that i i think about a lot and it's probably a lifelong ongoing project for me at least
0: totally Hey, everybody, I am so excited to be going back to the Donna Marathon weekend, the first weekend in February, the weekend of February 3rd through 5th. This is a half marathon, a marathon. They also have a 5K the Saturday before the half marathon, and marathon is Sunday, and this is a great time of year to go down to Jacksonville, Florida, enjoy the beautiful weather and also support the Donna Foundation, which helps people walking through a breast cancer diagnosis, I've gone to this year for five years. I'm going to have a big meetup while I'm down there. I would love to connect with listeners. You all can save when you go to breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay10. That's lindsey n d s That'll save you 10% off any of the Donna races. And I would love to connect with you. So let me know if you sign up. I'd love to see you there. Again, that's breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay10 for 10% off. And, um, if you have any questions about your training, I'm a running coach. So just come ask me, I can help you out. Lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. Just send me an email. All right. Back to the show. I want to talk about the part of the book when you leave your son sitting in a stroller at preschool drop-off while you walk your daughter inside to watch the other kids on the tire swing. Um, I am a very, very, very free range parent, um, And, uh, I thought about that story and the way some of those parents made you feel. And it just made me really mad. Like your child was safe. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So,
1: um, this must've been when my son was probably either about to turn two or had just turned two and the preschool that my daughter went to when she was about four didn't have a twos program and I needed some sorts of program for my son. So he would go to a different school that was about half a mile away. And the best way to manage everything with these two schools with two different drop-off times when I was trying to do some training for racing and work while they were at school was to just run commute everywhere. So I had this filthy double running stroller that was basically like the stroller version of the, you know, stereotypical minivan with like goldfish crumbs and <laughs> who I knows that what. one too. Yeah. So, you know, we were we we're like always kind of running late and sweaty and whatever. Um, and we got the way that it was. This, it is a beautiful old like New England quintessential church on a town green in this very like loving, sweet, um, mostly parents who either are working part time or at home or not at all. So. Um, not like a a daycare setting where people are quickly dropping off and leaving for work is really what I'm trying to get at. It had a very kind of like slow, gentle pace, um, which was great for my kids. But sometimes I was trying to get to the other school. So I got there late. My daughter, um, who at the time was still pretty shy, was really nervous about being late to go in. And the way that children entered was to go in the side door, go down a steep set of stairs And then kind of wait one at a time. And part of the morning routine was they would look the teacher in the eye, say good morning. I think she maybe would ask them like a quick question and then they would go in. But she certainly, my daughter, would not have gone in by herself. I don't even know if it was allowed. I don't remember that ever happening, that kids went in by themselves. Just for context, this is like a total of 10 feet that we're talking about. It was a flight of stairs. This is not like go into the front of the high (laughs) (laughs) school, like 90210 or something. (laughs) Um, And then usually I would be like in there with my not even that steady on his feet two year old in his snow boots, and everyone's like overheating him in their puffy coats and playing on the stairs and hanging from the railings like it's a monkey bar. And we're like waiting for all the kids to go in the class. And this one day I just thought, you know what, it's a nice day out today. There was a preschool class playing on the blacktop, so I parked the stroller. Right next to the gate and put on the brake so that my son could just watch, you know, to him, these cool three year olds on the tire swing and went right into the staircase, took my daughter into school and came back out. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I noticed this like flurry of running and moving and shouting, like coming toward my son and everyone shouting like, whose baby is this? Whose baby is this? So at first my heart drops and i'm thinking did he somehow like tip himself over i mean he was clipped in and the stroller was on with the brake on but like did he somehow get hurt or is like i don't know what happened is he choking on something he wasn't eating um and it just turned out that everyone was horrified that this child was out of preschool unattended um i mean i i cannot imagine that it was longer than two minutes at the absolute longest and that entire time, other parents were that we knew and saw every day were coming in and out of that staircase. Three teachers were watching the twelve kids on the playground, not five feet away. Like, it's not a on a road, you know. So, and so then I, I'm like, oh my God, this, this is my son. Is everything okay? Running over, um, and he's happily like waving and giggling <laughs> or like, something. Like
0: looking at me. This is fun. I'm
1: famous. i and one of the women who worked at the school just said to me, like, he could have been kidnapped. And it just, it made me so, first, so ashamed. Like yeah. the whole way home, instead of running, I'm like walking and holding his hand like through the top of the stroller. And I just kept saying, I love you so much. I love Like <laughs> just thinking like, oh my gosh, like what, what kind of a careless person am I that I did this? And of course, like how horrible if someone kidnapped it. And then as I'm walking, I'm thinking like, I know logically that stereotypical kidnappings, like, you know, the face on the milk carton kind, are basically a a non-existent event. Like, I know it does happen, and obviously it is horrendous, but like, when you look at statistics about what kidnapping actually is, it's usually like a non-custodial parent or someone, a romantic partner of a parent, um, not a stranger comes by a street and decides to kidnap a child they've never seen before for whatever reason. Um, and so then I'm sort of just getting more and more angry and I start thinking like, actually, if we're really thinking about risk analysis, a two-year-old hanging from the falling of a steep staircase that's crowded in like icy booty conditions, like that is way more likely that someone's going to fall or hit their head. Um, and also what about the value of like happiness, not just for him because he clearly was happy, but also for me, like it just, then it just started to make me so mad that the existence of like convenience or happiness for mothers is not even in the equation, you know, like whenever we're not whenever, but sometimes when my husband and I are making a decision and trying to figure out, like, let's say if we're going to spend money on something, we'll talk about like, is it worth is the cost benefit analysis totally. and in the benefit of this risk analysis by the Preschool and just kind of, I think more generally in society, the mother's convenience or happiness doesn't even enter into the equation. Um, and I had around the same time read about this new book that was coming out called Small Animals, which I mentioned in Stroller, um, by a woman named Kim Brooks who lives in Chicago. And she had a very similar, without going into the whole backstory, but um, left her child unattended for less than five minutes, actually with his older brother in a car with the windows down on a cool March day on the way to the airport like ran in to get something landed from the plane and there was a warrant out for her arrest because someone had called the police instead of waiting by the car just, or looking for her, yes and just like checking and yeah then, like, hey is everything okay and the police didn't even have time to arrive before she got back in the car and drove to the airport so and she had no you know no idea the police had been called no idea anyone was concerned her kids were glad they didn't get dragged into the target they get on the plane and her whole life was upended you know mm-hmm. she had to parenting classes and was threatened with losing her children so she wrote this book um about this the cost of shaming and like fostering so much anxiety especially in mothers in parents but especially in mothers um and like where this comes from who's you know most affected by this and um I actually got to meet her when I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago she was just such a generous Mm -hmm. writer to sit down and talk about her her writing and her experience but it just you know one of the points she made that really stood out to me for the first time is how it's really all about shame and then that leads to this feeling of isolation where like her first reaction was that she was like I should never tell anyone that this happened but at the same time it was like one of the most traumatic things that she'd gone through as a parent and she needed to be able to talk to people and have support in that um And, you know, she interviews some other women who've had similar experiences with with different kinds of outcomes and then interviews experts about, you know, how really rare those kind of dangers that we might imagine, like the stereotypical kidnapping or lurking person in a white van who's coming to to get you like that. When I was in elementary school, we were all thinking was happening. Um, So that book really kind of like helped me to see that that moment of embarrassment and shame and then anger that I had at the preschool is part of a much bigger pattern that, you know, maybe it's not always about leaving a child unattended, but the decisions that parents make, I've even heard moms say that someone shamed them for like not having a video monitor into the baby's room or not getting one of those outlet monitors. I didn't have outlet monitors and I got rid of the video monitor right away because it made me so anxious. Like I wasn't sleeping all night and that was way, I mean, I'm not even just being sarcastic like that was a greater risk physically to my family because if I did not sleep ever like I was not a safe driver I was not I I was I literally walked into a wall at one point (laughs) for a little because I was so tired um so just like the the way that we don't think about the cost of all that anxiety and then you know to bring it back to that consumer angle in some cases maybe not at the preschool in my case but it's very convenient for certain product manufacturers to really amp up the anxiety like this outlet monitor because what's more terrifying to imagine crib deaths like that's awful and i have a friend who lost a child to SIDS and it's i don't mean in any way to diminish how awful that is but those monitors are not really accurate and so it's selling this really expensive product to parents that i can imagine goes off sometimes when there's no problem that at great mental health cost and doesn't actually prevent what it says it's going to prevent. Um, And there's so many examples of that. That outlet came to my mind because I mentioned it in the book. But these products that are made to solve a problem that the problem itself is is not really solvable with the thing you buy on Amazon. It's it's, you know, whether like a complicated medical situation that needs research, like that's not going to be solved on Amazon, or a system of women not having enough support to have the childcare they need, that's not solved on Amazon either.
0: I have so many thoughts and feelings <laughs> on all of this. Um, I was a really paranoid, um, especially first time mom about SIDS. I mean, I was, I couldn't sleep. I was so anxious about it. I was miserable. I was, every time he went to sleep, I was like, is he going to stop breathing? Like I, it, it, I couldn't sleep because of that. Um, even in the daytime when they're like sleep when your baby sleeps, I'm like, LOL, that's so cute that you said that to me. Um, but I purposely never bought one of those monitors because I was so fearful of what it would do to me if it went off on a false alarm, I was so fearful of how I would feel waking up in the middle of the night thinking my baby might like have stopped breathing. and so I never did that. and the other thing I'll say about the video monitors, unless you have a video monitor to like look at how cute your baby is and like because I always thought it was fun like at night after they went to bed, if they were in that phase where they would like sit up and babble and stuff like that. Um, not necessary. I think I used one for two of my four. Um, and I think it at one point broke. I think we used it for two and three actually. Cause, um, with my first, our rooms were connected by a bathroom and we were so close to each other that we would hear anything. Um, and it was like this old house. So like doors didn't even shut tight. Like we were basically in the same room. Um, so I think I got one for two and three and then it broke. And so I never used one for Sandy, my fourth and, It wasn't necessary. Like it just, we didn't need it. Like we could hear him if he really needed anything. And um, the only thing I really think I missed out on was those cute, like babbling sessions.
1: Or the other thing I thought was so cute was when they, mine at least said that they would sleep like with their butts up in the air. Yes. Which is adorable. So yes. And you know, now that I'm saying that we have a treadmill at our house and there were some times when I would run on the treadmill and I I wouldn't hear the baby because of the thumping of my loud feet. So I would bring the monitor sometimes to do that or like to garden if I was going in the yard. But,
0: but the other thing about that is like, is it really a bit that big of a deal if you don't hear your baby right away and the world makes us think it is. Yeah. But oftentimes and not always listen, I've had some screaming babies your baby might cry for a little bit and then be like, oh, and figure it out themselves or like, you know, move on to something. And I think actually giving yourself that freedom, like if you're running on the treadmill and you just put them down for a nap or whatever and you're getting 45 minutes in, like if they're asleep and maybe they wake up for the last 20 minutes of that run, is that really harming your baby? Some people might say yes, I say no.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I even think about that with now, um, if I should bring my phone when I'm on a run or on a walk and you know, I think it kind of depends for me how long I'm going or whatever. And my husband totally. can't usually even know that his phone is ringing because he's in the classroom and his phone is in his office. So I am the only parent that can get called reasonably in oh, the school. Yeah. Like if the nurse calls or something. So, um, so there are times when I'll bring it, especially if I'm going for a longer run, but it, it's really took like a lot for me to give myself permission to say, okay, for 45 minutes after drop-off, we walk to school. So I'll walk my kids in my running clothes and then just start running right from there. Like I will be home before they've even been at school for an hour. And sometimes it's okay for me to do that, you know, And, and chat with my friend I run with or not have something to hold and just have that total head clearing space. And, you know, I, I mean, like I said, there are times when I feel like I need to bring the phone, but just how much it took for me to sort of be like, it's okay if I'm not reachable for 45 minutes. My, you know, my mom stayed home with us, but she wasn't literally in the home all day. So. Right. What and they didn't have cell phones. Right. So if the school called, they left a message on the answering machine, or you know, and sort of realizing that. You know, it's easy to get caught up in this—the immediacy of responding. You know, to your point about the baby waking up from a nap, even after they're out of that baby phase. Like, I think we're in an era where people feel like they need to respond instantly to everything. You know, and there's a work culture of that too, for sure. And my students struggle with that. Like, sometimes they'll email me and then email me again before I've even like woken up the next morning. Like, you might stay up till three, but I have been sleeping this whole time. Yes. Full eight
0: hours. Yeah. Now that my kids aren't babies.
1: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, just that sense of like never having permission or feeling always that you've done something wrong or don't deserve to to be disconnected even for a little bit.
0: Hey friends, do you know about prep dish? Are you looking for a way to make your meal planning and prepping easier throughout the week? I have a solution for you. Prep dish is an awesome way that you can just get it all together. Allison, the founder, sends you an ingredient list, a recipe list, and you go to the store or you go to your Instacart. You can link prep dish straight to your Instacart, and you get all your groceries for the week. And then on Sunday or whatever day of the week is your day that you would prefer to prep, you just spend a couple hours prepping on one day. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, your vegetables are chopped. Everything is ready to go, so you just have to throw it together a real quick day of. And you're not standing in your kitchen at 5.30 p.m. thinking, What the heck am I going to make for dinner tonight? The good news is you can get a free trial, which is awesome. Just go to prepdish.com slash Lindsay, and you can try this out for two weeks totally free. That's prepdish.com slash Lindsay. Check it out, friends. All right, back to the show. Oh, I mean, and with four boys, I can't (laughs) tell you. Like, there is a lot of physical... injury going on. And I know that that's yeah. Girls too. I get it. I get it. Um, But I can't tell you how many times I have felt judged in somebody's backyard at a party or at the playground, because I do not drop everything and run the second my child is crying. Um, I partly, I do that for two reasons. One, I want to see like how much of this is a reaction thing. Are they okay? If I wasn't here, would they just get up and move on? um, And, and also like maybe their brother's right next to him and he can check on him and like they can work it out together and figure it out. But I mean, I, I have had so many parents be like, oh, he's actually hurt. He, is that your son? I'm like, it's okay. Like I'm a, I'm an observer and then I'm going to swoop in when it's yeah. necessary. Um, and that's just like our culture. Our culture is to run and save the day. And yeah. I think that really takes a lot of independence away from our children
1: so much i just was as you were sharing that thinking about a couple of things one is that this other metaphor i tried to write about in the book is the idea that a stroller is like you know it keeps your kids safe cuz they're clipped in and there are lots of places that i would run with the stroller but that i wouldn't let my kids walk without holding my hand you know we live in a pretty low traffic neighborhood but some roads i would feel not were good you know not good for a toddler or whatever but um so it's keeping them safe in a literal sense but then it's also pushing them way like it's Mm -hmm. I remember going for a walk with a friend once when our kids were young and she said like oh you should turn it was when they still had the like Mm -hmm. the bowl set up she's like you should turn the baby toward you so that the baby knows you're there and I, I was like well my baby seems to like looking out. Like totally. If your kid wants to look at you, that's so sweet. Great. But (laughs) mine wanted to look out, you know, like we were together all day. So she wanted to look out and see whatever we were passing the trees and the birds and the cars. Um, And she can hear your voice. Yes. And if she starts to cry, I'm, you know, a foot away. So um, I, I remember thinking like, no, but part of why I like this contraption is because it's not holding your baby or wearing your baby. It's actually is letting the baby look out and have a little bit more independence. I've run a lot with a friend of mine who just had her third and we met when the baby was about eight weeks old and he was still in that like car seat attachment little (laughs) nest thing. Um, And now, you know, he's more than a year and he sits out and like kicks his feet. And it's such a perfect metaphor for like, at first I didn't even know what her son looked like. Cause he was like wrapped in a million blankets and all nuzzled in there. And now he's like full of personality. And when we meet for the runs, he like kicks his feet and waves to me and starting to say a few sounds that I like, is that a word you know, like, um, but I think that the, that's the hardest part of parenting. And it's, of course it feels for some people or maybe everybody, there's an impulse where you want to be like, don't go out. Like, out there is scary because out there is scary sometimes you know like we have access to so much news and know about all these scary things Mm -hmm. that that 30 years ago i don't think we would have known about because you would hear about like big national stories and then local news i wouldn't know of a horrific freak accident that happened in idaho unless i lived in idaho but now like that's trending on twitter and i am seeing this sad thing um and so it's very easy to get wrapped up in like what could go wrong but even you know, in third grade is the age at my kid's school that they'll dismiss them without a parent at the end of the day. Um, So my daughter is really excited that this year she can walk to and from school on her own. And she usually chooses to walk with us because, you know, she's with her brother and her friends and we have like a big neighborhood crew that walks. But I really thought about like, I know some families don't let their kids do that. And I was thinking I would rather when the stakes are pretty low, you know, it's a very low traffic neighborhood full of kids and families. We already know it's less than half a mile away than the first time she's walking by herself. She's like never had any experience stopping to look for traffic or being aware to walk against traffic or went across the street when she's like on a 40 mile per hour four lane road or learning to ride a bike and letting her actually fall off her bike. Now, instead of, you know, as a teenager when she and her friends are going to be like out at night when it's getting dark, riding bikes, you know, I I just think like the more you can tolerate a little bit of risk within reason when your kids are young and the stakes are fairly low. I mean, driving is like a whole other (laughs) layer of terror for independence to give kids. But if, I just feel like if I can practice for myself as much as for them, letting them make decisions about like, you know, what to do on the playground or how to get to and from school when the consequences are like a knee or hurt feelings or, or something like that, rather than, you know, the teenage years when the risks are so much riskier, if they've had some practice making risks and me, I've had some practice like letting go and pushing them out of the nest a little bit. Um, It just feels like though that can be hard, that's really important for me to try to make myself do.
0: I think so much of this kind of ties back into community too. When you're talking about the preschool situation and the stroller, like rather than feeling shamed for that, like I would have hoped that in that situation you would have felt like community support, like, Oh, that's Amanda's kid. You know what I mean? Like that's why I think it's so important to know our neighbors. I mean, at our school, it is second grade that they can be independent walkers. But if you have an older sibling, like my kindergartner, for instance, he goes with his brother. Um, so I send my third, my or my fourth, my second, and my kindergartner off to school. It's also a half mile away and back. And yeah, my kindergartner's riding a bike on a road. And like you, it's pretty low traffic. But like there are risks involved in that. But... There are also risks involved if I'm there. He can still fall. He can still zoom out in front of a car if I'm right behind him and I can't get there in time. Like, I think that's just it. Like, there's always going to be risk and you're just not always going to be there for it. Um, And I love what Julie Lithcott Hames says about this. She's been a guest on this podcast and wrote a book about raising independent kids. It's like, you show them how, you teach them how, you watch them, you do it with them, you watch them do it like from afar to see if they can do it and then you let them go and you know just yesterday or two days ago I um we went to a park that's about two miles from our house mile and a half maybe and I wrote I drove my little boys and the big boys with this big gang of neighborhood kids went I mean there was like eight of them and I said you all have to ride your bikes because I can't fit you all in my car and there's this one street that I was like kind of nervous about them crossing. So I drove in the car and I was like, I taught them how to cross that big street. Like you have to get on this side because there's no sidewalk on this side. And then you'd be crossing into traffic, like this whole big thing. And I was like, I showed them on the way there. And on the way back, I was like, I'm going to watch you do it because here in like six months, I want to be able to trust you to do that on your own. Um, And I just think there's a letting go. It's like you do your due diligence and you let go and you have to accept like, there's going to be risk involved. There's always going to be risk involved in every single thing we do every time we get in the car. Um, And if we obsess over it, we're never going to have freedom in being parents. I mean, we're never going to let go. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. I, I love
1: that order that you described. You might have to remind me exactly, but the order of like, tell them, show them, do it with them, watch them. And then they do it on their own. And I, Reminded me of when I was coaching high school, how many of the students I'd say, like, okay, today, you know, at the beginning of the season, we would have sort of little names for a lot of the routes we did, usually just the name of the road they were on. Um, but we'd say, like, okay, so you're gonna go up and turn right on here, and they'd be like, I don't know what that is. Like that is a road that is a two-minute drive that your school bus goes past every day or your mom drives you past every day. And you have started high school without being able to follow four right turn square directions. Like that's not about, you know, school smarts. That's like, that is an essential skill to function yeah. in the world that you know, like when to run against traffic, how to cross the street when there isn't a, like to your point, when there isn't a sidewalk. Um, and it was really, I remember being at the beginning of the season parent meeting and I was going over like, you know, all the rules and expectations. And I must've said something like, at the beginning of the season, when it's still pretty hot, it's really important to drink a lot of water. Cause you know, we practice at three in the afternoon, it can be pretty warm still. And one of the parents raised her hand and said, are you going to be available during the day to remind them to drink water? And I was like, "I no, I'm going to be teaching my classes about Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet or the Odyssey or whatever we're doing or eating my lunch. Like I'm not going to be following your child around telling her to drink water. I don't, at that time I didn't have kids, but like I don't tell my, my kids were one, I didn't tell them to drink water. But yeah, so just to sort of see how many students who like by some measures, had gotten to be fourteen. Yeah. Like I'm sure this girl could, like, whatever. I, I don't remember her specifically, but like, play the violin beautifully and you know do quadratic formula in math class, but couldn't manage her own water drinking. Like that's yeah, that's where We need to master the water drinking and the right <laughs> turns before we worry about your violin skills. You know,
0: <laughs> it's so true. It it it's just yeah. There's so much of of doing. I put posted this Instagram story yesterday, though, of me cleaning up my kids' granola bar wrappers. And somebody was like, well, that's because you did it for them. That's why they don't clean it up. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> actually, I do normally say clean up your crap. But sometimes I'm just exhausted and I don't want to walk around nagging all day long. But uh, that being said, I do think it's really important that, like, we stop doing everything for them. Like I don't need to make my 10 year old, his peanut butter and jelly sandwich for breakfast. Like he can make his own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Do I lovingly do it sometimes because I want to be nice? Yes. But if I don't feel like doing it, I don't need to feel guilty for not doing it.
1: Well, this maybe is like a almost crossing over to being a bit morbid, but I remember when my kids were really little, my brother was, he lives in Minneapolis. He was home visiting and we were all sitting around at my parents' house after the kids had gone to bed, you know, like sitting outside on their, for reminiscing and telling old stories. And, um, for some reason, Clay and I, that's my brother started talking about those kids books that are like, and then the beloved family pet dies. And that was always like this horrible, I'd be like, why, who would write this book? You know? And I'd be like, where the red fern grows, especially was just really tough for me. So we kind of were just going on like, and remember this one. And then the horse died and the dog died and the cat died. Um, and sort of jokingly being like, these books shouldn't even exist. And my mom was like, you know, laughing with us. And then she's like, those books exist because kids have to deal with grief. Like, mm-hmm. hopefully the first time kids encounter grief isn't when a beloved family member dies. Hopefully they can see that in a book and process that in a book. And then, you know, that's, my mom kind of was like, that's part of why it's important to get kids pets. We're not really big a big pet family. So I'm not sure if we're going to follow this. Part of the advice. the mm-hmm. But like the processing the death of a pet I remember when my childhood dog died, like that was the first real loss I, I knew. And like, hopefully that can be the case for a lot of kids where it's not a grandparent or even a parent that who's lost their processing. And so then at the end of this conversation, my mom said, you know, like your job as a parent is to teach them to live in the world without you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was like, of course, the alternative is awful that I would live in a world without them. Like I can think of nothing worse. So of course that's my job, but it's hard on both the micro level of like dealing with the whining about the whatever to make them do it independently, you know, like the whining about the granola bar wrappers. And I'm totally with you on, in theory, they do it themselves. And then some days the house just needs to be clean and yeah. I need to get it done. Yeah. It's um, just
0: like, I, I can do this in 10 minutes. Yeah.
1: And I need to have a clean house tonight for my sanity yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know Um, you know, so those micro things, but also the bigger things like, I know some friends whose parents kind of discouraged them from ever learning how to drive. And I, like I said before, I totally get it. Driving is scary. Adults are even terrible drivers, you know, distracted and texting and, um, but what a hindrance to independence. Like I remember getting my driver's license and my friends and I would go to the diner and go buy stupid things. It was so wonderful. And like the bonding that my friend, like my girlfriend and I would just, I don't even know what we were doing. We were like, we need to go get some ice cream right now. You know, just. And talking, listening to music, and those are sort of like my core memories of late teenage years. And my parents, I went to college in Chicago, and my parents let me drive from Connecticut to Chicago when I brought my car. And wow. then I, you know, that was just like important for me in all those phases of life to have the independence that driving opened up, even though I'm sure I was a, not as good of a driver as I thought I was. And yeah. I I just got lucky that I didn't have any bad situations, you know, but Um, that sort of is maybe the 10 year for me, 10 years down the road version of the granola bars where it's like the tendency for my own fear or back to that anxiety is like, oh, sure. If you just want to, we live in a walkable town, no need to rush getting that driver's license, you know? Um, but what a disservice that can actually be even just on the level of like, this is away from anything I write about in the book, but. What that communicates about your parents' lack of belief in you, that mm. to not let you take those risks and, and fail, like that failing would be so terrible or they're so certain you would fail that they're not even letting you try. That was something I also saw with my students that was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you, you know, like I'm going to do your paper for you because I'm so sure you won't do a good job on your own or like, God forbid you should get a C on it. Like, no, get like tell your kid it's OK to get the C and it's OK to. To fail, you know, and and then maybe that also sends the message that failing isn't the worst thing and that they can do it at the same time.
0: Yes, I love that. I remember I had a friend in high school whose mom would like stay up with her till like two in the morning doing projects and I'd be like, Your mom stays up with you and does your projects with you? Like I couldn't get my mom to stay up past nine thirty if I begged her. Like I I just can't even imagine that world. I don't know. Maybe I would have got better grades if she did. <laughs>
1: but, I don't know. Like in the same way as the driving around with friends at night, like it's such a good, I would never do it now, but like that feeling of like drinking, I'm sure I was drinking like Frappuccinos to get caffeine and like staying up late, working on a project. I thought I was like so serious. Like, Oh, I have to pull this all night. Yes. So <laughs> like why would my mom be there doing that? You know, like, yeah,
0: there is a, there is some independence there. Like, oh, I stayed up till 1 a.m. doing this.
1: Even though it was dumb and I probably was miserable the next day, like it felt really cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, okay. So the book, if friends listening want to check it out, it's called Stroller Object Lessons. I'm glad you explained that at the beginning because I did not know this was part of like a whole big series of different objects. Um, it's a really cool concept. And I felt like like I said, before we started recording, it made me want to write my own book on just my reflections of motherhood, like through the different phases. And I was thinking about it and I was like, my oldest kid is already 10. Like I need to start capturing this stuff because you don't, you're not going to remember everything in the detail that it, as it's happening, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So people go check that out. Amanda, is there anything else about the book you want to share before we do into podcast questions here?
1: Um, Well, just two quick things. One is if you are interested in the series, there's another one that just came out called doll and the author of that one. And I have been doing some events together. um, And I, I feel like they kind of pair well together, but also it was perfect for October, November, like creepy, you know, how there's the whole creepy doll thing. Uh Um, Even if strollers, like if the stroller book, I think speaks a lot to parenting, but then the other objects are totally all over the place. So just as kind of if you're interested, if any listeners are interested in the concept of the series, um, another cool one that just came out as doll. And then, um, Oh, the only other thing I was going to say about the book, this is just a little bit of bragging, which feels so awkward to do. But do yesterday I, I found out that it was on the New Yorkers list of top books of the year. So that was just like, I actually started crying in a Panera. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Looking over, there's a baby in a stroller. I'm like, my kids don't come to, why am I a Panera? I don't even have my kids with me. I could have got someone somewhere cooler. Yes. <laughs> so Panera, I'm a loyal customer. But um, <laughs> anyway, so that was just like, you know, it's, writing can be such a weirdly lonely thing. You're like literally alone, but also wondering, is anyone ever going to read this? Am I like having half of a conversation that no one's ever going to respond to? So talking to you right now and hearing that the book resonated with you actually like, that made you want to write something feels like the biggest compliment because that's to me what I tell my students too. like writing is supposed to start a conversation and whether the conversation continues on the page with more writing or just out loud it's supposed to be communicating not just like an exercise you do in a vacuum so thanks for saying that
0: yeah uh what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet
1: So I would love to write a novel. I've written fiction a little bit just for fun, but everything I've published has been nonfiction. So I have part of a draft of who knows where it's going, but I would love to do that someday.
0: And what's the best, most recent book you've read?
1: I just read two books that I loved. One is called Flight by a woman named Lynn Strong. It just came out Tuesday, but I was lucky to get an early copy. Um, It's about a family coming together at the first Christmas after the matriarch, like the grandmother figure has died. Um, But it's really a book kind of about families forgiving each other and understanding like we all have our stuff and we're not going to ever be rid of that stuff. But we can still like find a kind of love. Um, And then another book that has some similar themes that I just read is called Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro. And it's also actually about a family kind of overcoming some history of addiction and forgiving one another for for things in the past and sort of like an imperfect, but loving family going forward.
0: And a kid's book you recommend.
1: My daughter is into these middle grade books called, it's a series called the Vanderbeekers. And I love them because there are five kids in the family and they're all different ages. So the series has aged well with her. Like at first her favorite character was the youngest one, but some of the older kids are in high school. So now those are like ooh teenagers. Um, So they have a long shelf life, I think too.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. Do you have a place? I mean, this friends, we didn't talk about, this is a woman who took her kids all over New York city when they were like babies and toddlers, but do you have a place that you recommend visiting with kids?
1: Yeah. So this is kind of like a general, my specific example is Philadelphia, but the general thing I love is a place that's like two to three hour drive, mid sized city. And then I'm big on like life as a circus with kids. So you might as well take your circus on the road. Um, But we, like we did a children's museum, we did outdoor stuff. We ate at a restaurant that was just probably fine, but felt super exciting because it had a white tablecloth, you know, so it was like fancy and um, we went for New Year's, which for us was great because we're not big like New Year's Eve party people, but it still felt like a, something special to do for the holiday and we didn't have to get a sitter. And yeah, so I would say it doesn't have to be Philadelphia, but for us that was far enough away to feel like a trip, but close enough that we could do the drive easily.
0: And your last message to leave with the audience.
1: I just would say, you know, to Lindsay's point about the difficulty of finding 15 minutes, that even 15 minutes is still worth taking. That's something I'm always reminding myself. Like, I'll be like, oh, I have to pick up the kids in 15 minutes. Like, well, I can still write a paragraph in 15 minutes. And and even if you don't, like, you probably will feel better if you do whatever it is that you would like to do, like read a book for 15 minutes or take a walk for 15 minutes than if you stare at your phone for 15 minutes.
0: Amen. That's so true. Um, Thank you so much, Amanda. Thanks, Lindsay. Have a good day. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Amanda, for coming on the podcast. It has been really fun getting to know you. And this has been a really fun conversation for me. Uh, You all can go to the show notes, sandyboyproductions.com. Click on why is everyone yelling? We will have the show notes to this episode in the most recent episode there. You can check out her book. It's called Stroller. We'll have that linked. Object Lessons is the book series that she mentioned. I would love to connect with you on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 over there, at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. And we have a Facebook group. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? If you want to learn more about this podcast network, go to sandyboyproductions.com. Check out the elderberry syrup at greengrowers.farm. Use that code sandyboy for free shipping. And I hope to see you at the Donna Marathon weekend in February. And you can also check out our other sponsor of this episode, Preptish at prepdish.com slash Lindsay. Thanks for being here. I hope you found this conversation helpful or encouraging, but thank you for being here. I so appreciate you. We'll see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?